0: You know, what was the most striking to me about that video and about that experience was not just the truth of of their observations. It was the fact that one thing they knew was true is that something wasn't right. Something wasn't right about being on the street. And what these students faced for the first time was what? What was this experiment really about? It was about life in isolation. It was about life separate from loving community and all its benefits. So they volunteered to go on this mission trip, and the first night they find out, that they're not just going to be serving the homeless, they're going to be homeless themselves in a controlled setting. If you couldn't tell, it was out here on the south side of the property. But during that time, they were given very little, basically what they had on their back, and they were handed a piece of cardboard and a blanket. And um, then they spent the next two nights and three days uh, living in isolation. And here's what happened to them. In isolation, they couldn't get enough food, they couldn't get enough rest, they uh, they couldn't get enough protection from the elements uh, or, or from potentially from people who would seek to harm them or take advantage of them. Throughout the night, as they were asleep, if they would fall asleep, they were told that if they didn't hold on to their belongings, they might lose them. And so we had people set up that would go and steal anything that they weren't holding on to. So they'd wake up the next morning and they would have no shoes or they would have lost that food that they prayed for so preciously with the points that they had earned during their day of day labor. And they would work so hard to get so little. And it almost just didn't seem worth it at all. They experienced life outside of loving community. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, there's no amount of teaching. There's no amount of talking about it that could draw viscerally out of those students what that experience did. But even that experience of isolation for them happened in the context of loving community. It happened by design through people who loved them. They might not have felt like that at the time. Through people who loved them and who cared for them and who had a wisdom and a life experience that they did not yet possess, and so in a controlled setting, they experienced just just a little taste of what it means to live outside of loving community. So here's the thing: What is loving community? What is it? Is it just being around people who love you? Is it just being around people? Is it being in an environment where you have all your needs met? Let me tell you what it is. Loving community is the way God intended things to be. Loving community is the way that God intended and created things to be. Loving community in perfect fellowship between creation and creator. Loving community is what the church ought to be. Do you know when churches die? They die when loving community, when loving communion with God and with each other departs. Now, they may stay alive for a while because they have a lot of money or because they have a lot of tradition, because they have a lot of people involved or because even because needs are being met. They may stay sort of alive on life support for a long, long time. But the truth is, when communion with the one true God and with his people in love with each other departs, that church is a dead man walking. Jesus restores and protects and preserves us. How? Does he do it through self-help books? Does he do it through wise counseling? Does he do it through uh, financial resources? Does he do it through homeless shelters? Does he do it through all those kinds of things? Well, you know what? All those things are tools, but let me tell you how God really changes somebody and why when we go out into society to help someone who's suffering, it doesn't work. God really changes people through loving community. It was his program for redemption. Loving community is the way that things ought to be. And you're going to see that today. Today we're going to pick up where Tom finished last week, starting in John uh, 13. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, you can turn to them. I've always wanted to say that, but I need my own catchphrase, I think. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to John 13, verse 1. And these next four chapters, John 13 to 17, uh, cover Jesus' final hours with his beloved disciples, if, if you will, if you'll indulge me, with his community group. All right, with the people uh, with whom he is in the closest fellowship, the ones that he's called to himself, called into mission and called into ministry to help him build the foundation of the church. He's spending his final days, his final hours, and in narrative terms, this is the final building toward this climax of a story that has played out. But it hasn't just played out for the three years of his public ministry. It hasn't just played out for the 33 years of his life on earth. It has played out since the beginning Of time when things were as they were intended to be. When God and man and woman walked together in the peaceful beauty of a garden. And there was no suffering, there was no death, there was no struggle. There were no politics. There was no uh, pursuit of selfish gain. There was no corrupt business practice or political wrangling or government bureaucracy. There was only beauty. There was only perfect productivity in mission with God and perfect fellowship. There was only perfect peace. And that's the way things were loving community. But then, as you know, there was a disruption, right? Man, in his attempt to be God for himself, broke fellowship with God. And what happened? Well, here's what happened. He was thrown out of the garden. He broke fellowship with the one true God, with the one for whom he was made. And it was impossible for him to stay where? In loving community. The two things could not exist together. Oil and water does not describe the difference between a sinful person and a sinful creation and a perfect and holy God. And they were expelled from the garden, separated from loving community. But God did what he's always done. He held out a remnant. He held out a moment. He held out a hope and he made a promise. And even in the midst of the curse of the man and the woman, the man who would toil and struggle to labor the rest of his days, there would be weeds in the garden. There would be politics. There would be bureaucracy. There would be a uh, 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 pursuit of, of dishonest gain. There would be corruption and murder and death. So the man was cursed by his pride and the woman would be cursed with pain at childbearing and her desire would be for her husband, but she would not be able to possess him. But even in the midst of that, he, he, he made a promise to that woman and he said, in you, from you will come a seed. And there was a serpent in the garden who had leveraged the pride of the man and the woman and taken advantage and deceived them through their own sinful pride, and corrupted them to break fellowship with God because that's what he wanted. He wanted a bunch of people who wanted to be gods for themselves just like he did. And he took the form of this serpent and God made him a promise. He said, do you see this woman? She will bear a son. And one day you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Do you know what God was proclaiming in that promise? He was proclaiming that one day there would be loving community again. There would be the beauty of the garden again. This man had been thrown out of the garden. He had chosen isolation and all of its benefits. He had chosen to not have enough food and to not have enough rest, and to not have enough protection from the elements, or from those who would seek to harm or to take advantage of him. And in that isolation, he wouldn't get the emotional support and the benefit of the doubt, and he would suffer and he would struggle. But God would hold out a remnant, and there begun the redemptive story that would end with Christ. And it would play out through all of history, through all of Scripture, the redemptive plan that God would use to restore loving community. You see it in Noah and his family spared on the ark. God holds out a remnant. Abraham, the father of God's chosen people. God chooses a people to be for him in what? In loving community with him. By faith they were saved. In Moses and the law, the legal reestablishment of God's relationship and loving community with them, of his covenant with them, God is rebuilding the infrastructure of loving community, and he's foreshadowing something. And then he commands Solomon to build a temple, and Solomon makes plans, and then David builds a temple for his people. And what's in that temple? It is the dwelling place of God among his chosen people. Rebuilding, reestablishing, loving community. All the religious mumbo-jumbo you've ever seen in the world is worthless apart from that understanding that from day one, God's intention and purpose for you was a relationship and perfect fellowship with him. Anything else that is true drives you to that or reveals that you've rejected it. And then comes Jesus, the climax of the story, the one who even in the garden knew who would bruise his heel and whose head he would crush. So then he came in the flesh. And what did he say? He said, I've come that you might have what? Life. And that you might have it how? Abundantly. I've come to restore loving community. So here's the deal. In Jesus' public ministry, basically what he was doing was he was giving that final chapter, those lessons in how to live in loving community. And throughout his ministry, he taught uh, that all these things, Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and the temple and the kingdom of Israel, all these things pointed toward him and this work to do what? To worship God once again. How? In spirit and in truth. Not on a mountain, not in a building, not with rituals. All of those things point to the restoration of loving community with God. And so Jesus has walked these streets through life and he's been teaching one lesson after another about what happens in loving community. What happens when you take a few fish and 5,000 people? They are plentiful that they feed to overflowing these 5,000 people. What happens when someone is in isolation in their illness? They're healed. They're made well. What happens when they're blind? They see. They see not only the, the world, but the truth. What happens when they're hungry? They're given the bread of life that's eternal. What happens when they're thirsty? They drink from the fountain that will quench their thirst forever. What's he saying? Come with me. The source from which loving community pours. And so he walks through life and he walks with these disciples who he's called uh, one or a few at a time. And, And they're right at the tip of the spear of learning these lessons because they're going to be the ones that he leaves. And what they don't know is that every step he takes is a step toward a garden and a serpent who has not yet bruised his heel. And he knows that. And he knows that even one of the men among him, one of his 12, will be an agent of that same serpent, will be a deceiver. Anytime you see, uh, several times in scriptures where you see that heel talked about, Jacob's name meant heel grabber. He was a deceiver. This deceiver, Judas, the agent of Satan, was among his 12, was a part of his loving community. And nobody knew, but Jesus knew. So let that set the scene in your mind for a dinner that they would all attend with Jesus. And they would come together, and they would recline around this table, but it would be low, and they'd all be leaning on their left elbow with their feet sticking out because their feet stunk and were dirty. And they would lean out, and they would reach in, and with their right hand, they would eat because their left hand was unclean. So they'd lean on their left elbow, and they'd, they'd literally be right up you know, almost against each other all the way around. And so the stage is set for this supper. And this is what Jesus does to give him the master lesson in everything that he's taught. A model for, for their life after his departure. John 13, 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, of all the things he could have chosen to do or say. He gets up from the table. He takes the role of a servant. Many of you have heard this story. Many of you have heard about the story, but here's the deal. That job was for the lowliest person in the house. Let me tell you who it was. It was the slave, or it was a woman, or it was a child. That was their view of culture. And it was in that culture, by the way, that Paul said, in Christ, there is no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, he was a radical civil rights activist. But that's who that role was reserved for. So Jesus gets up, and they're all probably just, you know, eating, and, and he gets this basin of water, and he strips his outer garment and wraps a towel around his waist. So now he's taken the posture of a slave. Remember what these men had seen him do. Remember what they expected him to still do, right? The king on the white horse. That was going to wield this power with which he had uh, fed the 5,000 and healed the sick and raised the dead and controlled the weather to restore Israel to its rightful place of earthly rule. That's what they were expecting to happen while they were eating this dinner. And this Jesus gets up and he does this thing that is so humiliating that it actually makes Peter angry. You know, when I was a kid, um, I went on a mission trip, getting ready to go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and um, I had a youth pastor, two youth pastors, Kent Keller and Jerry Reed. Some of you might know Jerry Reed. He teaches Hebrew at Knox Theological Seminary. Those guys were my youth pastors, and we uh, they invited us to a dinner to prepare for the mission trip, and we were going to have a meeting to talk about what the mission trip was going to be about. So we come in, and we sit down, and the chairs are kind of set up in a circle, and Jerry and Kent start taking off our shoes and they wash our feet. I'm going to tell you, that was the weirdest, creepiest thing to have a stranger touch my feet. But, you know, and we're all looking at each other. And, you know, there's the bead of sweat running down. And, and you know, we don't know what to do or say. But, hey, this is the leader. I guess we better do what he says. And, but here's what was running through my mind for real. And I'll bet you it was running through their mind. Two things. One, these are my heroes. These are my spiritual fathers. These men would die for me. These men know my darkest secrets. These men are the men that I want to be someday. It's humiliating. They don't have any business down there. Here's the second thing I didn't want to admit. My feet stunk. I didn't want to admit that my feet stunk, that it was really embarrassing to take your socks off and your, sho- your shoes and your socks off. And imagine back then in the filth. So Peter has this same psychology running through his mind, and he's a lot, I was a lot like Peter. So he opens his big mouth and puts his foot in it. Lord, you will. are you to wash my feet? Implication being I should be washing your feet. And maybe Jesus is thinking, well, maybe, Peter, you could have thought of that when nobody showed up to wash our feet. <laughs> now that you're all you know, showboating with me here, right? oh, let me do it. And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, it's okay. Um, you need to let me do this. And he says, because if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And he says, I know you don't understand this now, but you will. You'll come to understand this. So then, Jesus, and then Peter says, oh no, oh no. Well, then wash all of me, my head and my hands as well. And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, those who have been cleansed, need only to wash their feet. You've all been cleansed by the grace of God through the salvation of me. So I wash your feet as a foreshadowing and demonstration of something that you don't understand, but in a few days you will. When your sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb, And then he says, but not all of you are clean. One of you will betray me. And he says this in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on their outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And that's a big deal, teacher and Lord. Basically, they're proclaiming him as their sort of leader-mentor, the, the one who knows more than they do, all wise, and then they're calling him their Lord, which means they're assigning him deity. And you are right, for so I am, and the Greek that's going on there is the same kind of language that was used when Moses asked God, what should I call you? And God said, say, I am, sent me. I was, I am, and I am to come. So he proclaims himself as God. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And then this horrible and amazing thing happens all at the same time. And I want you to remember back to the garden. It says that Jesus was, was, was downtrodden. And he was troubled in his spirit. And he told them, he revealed that they would be, uh, that he would be betrayed by somebody in the room. And then mumbling started. And Peter looked over at at, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved, who we think was John, the author of this book. And he went, ask Jesus who it is. And another gospel says that every disciple one at a time went around and said, it's not me, is it? Nobody knew who it was. And Jesus leans to John, to to the disciple he loves, and he whispers to him, it's the one who will take the bread that I've dipped in the wine. Do you know what that was for? That was for the guest of honor. So Jesus takes the bread, he dips it in the wine, and he gives it to Judas. And then he says something. He quotes Psalm 49.1. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Think of the pathos of that moment. In this moment, Jesus is living in two worlds. He's living in this world that these that these disciples understand, this horizontal earthly world. But in the midst of that, there is this spiritual warfare happening. And he sees the serpent slither back into the room and occupy this man, Judas, this tool whose pride has allowed him to be deceived. And he says, the one who I trusted and gave bread will strike me with his heel. He's not talking to Judas. And then he says, and not only to Judas, what you do, don't go and do quickly. And after Jesus leaves, he regathers himself and he regathers his disciples who still don't know why Judas left. And he says this, You've seen what I've done for you. Greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. This is how the world will know that you know me if you love one another. Stunning and simple and beautiful. So here's what I leave you with today as I get ready to have Daniel come up here. There's a little secret you need to know about the Rio house. It is not just for single mothers sexually abused with children who are homeless. The Rio house is absolutely fundamental to this community's spiritual growth. Because it is an opportunity for us to learn every day more and more biblical community in this room among each other. I see it happen all the time in this church. And the Rio house will only succeed to the extent that we know biblical community. In Philippians 2, uh, Paul says this. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in practical terms, what does loving community mean for us? These are the things that we must have in order for us to minister to other people. First, we need to be cleansed by Christ. Christ is at the center of loving community. It's not just a group of people who do good things. It's not just a group of people who are nice to each other. It's not just a group of people who assimilate all their resources and leverage them to help hurting people. It's a group of people who understand that they were made for a purpose, and that purpose was perfect, loving communion with God. And that the only way it's possible is through Christ Jesus. And you know what that means for you? It means that you need to admit that you are dirty. It means that you need to let him humble himself before you and take off his outer garment and wash your feet and save you from your sin. It means you need to admit that he's God and that you're not. And that your troubles come when you get those things mixed up. It means that we don't aspire to dominate and this isn't just here, it's in our personal lives, it's in our marriages, it's in our workplace, it's in school, it's in all of our endeavors. We don't aspire to dominate but we're eager to serve. It means that we love those that we don't like It means there is no one in your world who you do not love. Think about that. Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I promise you that is the opposite of what the world will teach you. So in our community, in our fellowship, we have no enemies. None of us are enemies with each other. We love those who we struggle even to like. Which means we lift each other up. We don't tear each other down. You know how that most commonly happens? With the mouth. It most commonly happens in any group of people with our mouth, with our proclivity to savor the negative, to assume the worst when left to our own devices. But in Christ-loving community, what does it say in 1 Corinthians 13? Love hopes the best. Now this all sounds good, but let me tell you what, it's the opposite of what happens in the world. Jesus uses that phrase, the world, 40 times in the vicinity of this passage. He contrasts loving community in, in in Christ with the world. And I'm here to tell you, the world aspires to dominate and is not eager to serve. The world, when left to its own devices, hates those it doesn't like. It is filled with enemies. It tears people down and it doesn't lift people up. But in our community, we do the opposite of those things. We trust and we share what we have. I want to celebrate that, and, and uh, I want to invite uh, Daniel to start making his way up here. I want to celebrate that and tell you this. I've already seen this happening in our church, and I'm the ministry operations pastor. Tom leads with vision and, 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 uh, and, and great leadership, and he's, our, he's our, our visionary leader and teacher and pastor, and my job is to execute the vision with all of you working together. And I'm going to tell you what I see. I see that out of nothing came the Rio house because of your generosity, because of your understanding of this idea of loving community. And I see that happen all the time in this place. So I've asked uh, Daniel to come up. Daniel Castro, uh, awesome guy and a member of our, our, uh, our core team. And you can't have the stool, I'm gonna sit down. Um He's a member of our uh, Team Hope core team and he is gonna just give us a little update. On the Rio House and uh, Hope South Florida stuff. And uh, he, he gets the prize, he and Stephanie, because they live in Boca and they've had to come to both services and she's pregnant. So way to go. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you.
1: <laughs> it. I am one of many members of our team, Hope, as we call ourselves. We are Rio Vista's community volunteers committed to serving the homeless and herding through the Hope South Florida movement and the Rio House. We've spoken about the Rio House for uh, months and months, and done a lot of hard work. So we thought it would be appropriate to give an update today. The first phase of that update was was getting ready for the house. Uh, and, and if if I may, just there might be a few of you even here uh, that that may not know much about the Rio House. And and real briefly, I'll I'll go through what the Rio House is. is a fourplex owned by Rio, dedicated to homeless single mothers and their children. As Matt said. This next point, our response to the grace of Jesus toward us, I I think is the most salient point, really. It's the reason why we're doing what we're doing. It's first Jesus' love and and grace extended to us that we are reflecting to our community. The Real House uh, offers opportunities to express that grace through evangelism. It's not just serving the physical needs, but the spiritual needs as well to these women and and children and their families. It is ours. It's Rio Vista Community's narrow focus to a massive problem. But it's not the only focus. Other churches are going to come alongside us, have and will continue to find their focus as we attack this problem at large. With that, it is it is going to be a pioneering model, and it has been for other churches. They're going to be looking to us. Hope South Florida tasked us with this to say... Find, figure out how to how to do this house, how to do something that's going to be an access point from your church congregants to the community, and that's that's in a nutshell what the Rio House is and and why. The nuts and bolts come in the in the getting ready, getting the house ready, the cleanup phase, and these pictures that you're going to see demonstrate a lot of volunteers. Some of you even here this morning were a part of that. It it was a, a massive undertaking, rather than. Constructing from the from scratch, we've decided to renovate an existing unit. This picture here, I think I think we termed it the Smoker's Paradise.
0: Smoker's Paradise, yes. This unit had two 20-year chronic smokers, and all that brown on the
1: wall is smoke. It was in the whole apartment. You'll see a couple of pictures uh, tearing down walls, ripping out carpets, getting ready for tile, getting ready really just for the construction for the, the crews that would come in. Next picture, you'll see a group shot of, of the people that day. It was raining uh, it was supposed to be raining. The forecast was that, and it cleared up. skies cleared up just enough time for everyone to do the demo work. And then as we were all leaving, it started to rain again. There's another picture here of our hurricane impact windows that, that we installed with help of some members, some local businesses, and volunteers. On that Saturday, I th- believe we installed nearly 27 windows. And I'm, I'm happy to report, Matt, that Pat Kibler gave... Uh, me the report that, that we got the, the permit. We got the inspection passed. For Woo! We got the inspection. They're legal. That's good.
0: What did that cost to get the...
1: Uh, That's what he didn't tell me. He,
0: me. Didn't, okay. he didn't tell me That's how good. much he had That's to pay good. that
1: inspector. That's, good. That's okay. a joke. It's so a joke. With, we, if you work for the city, we did not pay off the inspector. Along with the windows and other materials, we've had construction management services, architect services, professional construction, cleaning, drywall, paint, literally hundreds of hours of volunteer And furnishings, everything that you can touch and see in the Rio house has some sort of donation behind it. So moving forward, what we need, making the houses homes. What we need are the finishing touches. We need home goods donated. You'll find a list at our table, and we hope that you'll come back to the Team Hope table and share a little time with us. You can go to the website if you don't have time to pick up the list. We're asking, requesting that you bring the goods to Rio between July 22nd and August 5th, it's about three weeks from now. Brent, uh, another member of the team, Hope, uh, is heading up this specific task so you can reach out to him with any questions. And finally, phase two, preparing for families. Very simply, our call to action is threefold. Preparing yourself through handing out love bags, and you may not be familiar with the love bag concept. We've we've rolled it out before. Simply, there's a picture here uh, to demonstrate what it looks like. Their personal hygiene, some canned foods, bottle of water, a little card there with a hotline number for a homeless individual to reach out to Hope South Florida. And the point of this is that you don't have to go very far out of your roots. To and from work, you're confronting homeless individuals. Hand out a love bag at your discretion, blog about it. The second is serve a meal with Hope South Florida. And this is a really great in- entry point into the Hope organization. They put on meals Mondays and Thursdays at Hope Central. You can go in person, meet, greet some of the people that work at Hope, get your hands dirty, Uh, and finally and most importantly, the third call to action is our orientation meeting on July 29th. This is where we lay the ground rules for the house, for the real house. August 12th is our ribbon cutting, uh, but it doesn't end there. It continues, and in fact... The hard work really does start once we finish the construction of the real house. And we're not asking anyone to tax or distress themselves in areas that they don't feel comfortable. And the reason why we're not asking is because we don't have to ask. Every one of us in this room brings something unique. At the first service after I spoke, I I met two nurse practitioners. It's a skill set that they had that they wanted to share with this community. And in a lot of ways, if we just sat down and thought about what we're good at, Uh, That's what we can bring to the table. That's what we can do to help this community and to restore a loving community the way it ought to have been. So thank you. God bless. We'll see you in the back. Hope to meet those of you who I haven't already.
0: Well, that's awesome. You know, he he hit it right on the head. And we set this up to be a model for other churches. And you need to know that two other churches have met with us, um, one of them multiple times, with the intention of starting their version of a Rio house. Uh, you need to know that a very large furniture company in our community has stepped up. Um, we met with them, and they offered to provide the rest of the furniture that hasn't been uh, donated yet. And there's a lot. Um, for example, 16 mattresses and all the bedding and uh, four dining tables and four pull-out couches and tons of other stuff. And then... Um, They offered to do that, and along with a guy who's going to partner to pay their cost. They're going to provide it at their cost, and another guy's going to raise the money to pay for it. So Real House is furnished for free, but then they went one step further. They said, would you mind if we sent our design team over and looked at the whole thing and laid it out and made a recommendation to you, and then if you like it, then we'll deliver all the furniture ourselves and have our design team place it? And we said, well, all right, if we can you know, minister to you in that way, (laughs) we will allow you to do that. Unbelievable. And just I could tell you a million stories like that of the way people have sort of found their thing in this process. Um, and I want to tell you that um, I am not preaching about something that we do not do. This church is wonderful. And from the day I walked in this door as a broken hurting guy with a wife and kids, this church has had loving community. But 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 we can grow it. And we started. Uh, a huge growth step when we when we took on that real house. So thank you. Thank you for participating in that. Uh, let me pray for us, and then Ryan's going to come up and close us.